Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back. It's a brand new episode of Bets and Banter. My name is Liam, and I pick fights on this channel each and every week. Excited to do so this week once again with our guy, Rich. Just win, baby, back in the building. And we're talking about Cyril Gan versus Sergey Spivak. So let's get it started. 17 people rocking with us live. Appreciate each and every one of you guys. Smash the like so other people know we're here. And let's get it going. Rich, how you doing today, brother? Yo, Liam, what's good? Thanks for having me. Lanchfield, Max Bet. And uh, I've got a banger for this one. So looking forward to sharing. Absolutely, man. Looking forward to hearing it. Should be a hell of a show. Um, it's not the best fight card on paper, but I actually think that the main card here is a little bit above average for a UFC fight night. So I'm excited to talk about that. And the prelims, kind of interesting. I think there might be some betting value and some opportunities along the way. So let's see if we see eye to eye here or if we uh, can find some dissension. But the first fight of the night is one where I have you know, done probably the least research um, I will do some due diligence here because there's a big plus money number on a huge social media A side. Um, you know, the reason being Zara Farron is old, right? She's 39 years of age. Um, I believe she's coming down to the bantamweight division. Oh no, they've changed it to 140 pound catch weight. Um, so, you know, she was going to be making a cut down here, but I still think it's a little bit interesting that she's going to be making that kind of lifestyle change. She has to, to stay in the UFC as they're starting to, you know, sponge out that 145 pound division a little bit, wipe it from the history books as Amanda Nunes retires. But Zara Farron, six and five overall, um, has shown a little bit of improvement over the course of her UFC career, but that's not saying that much. You know, she went from getting finished in the first round to losing pretty clear wide decisions. So um, the, the problem I have is think about a Jacqueline Amarim, Rich. I think she's a really good fighter, right? I think she has skills and she went out there, leveraged her skills, got into good positions and then gassed out. You know, it was just, it was unfortunate, right? So I feel like sometimes these debutantes, you put them in a big spot, you put them on a card like this where there's a big crowd, it's live. They could just kind of fall short of your expectations, gas out in the first round and hang on. And then they look like themselves the rest of the way we saw. Uh, you know, you you predicted as well as I last week, Aaron Blanchfield was going to beat Talia Santos, but Talia Santos lost her first fight in the UFC as well, and then won a bunch of fights in a row to get to that title opportunity. We see it frequently, uh, especially in the women's division. So for me, just the difference in experience here, uh, it doesn't fit my, my uh, angle criteria, which is younger fighter with more experience, but it is the more UFC experienced fighter, social media A side, she's French, right? Not French in the sense of She's actually French, right? She's from Brazil, but she's been in France for years, most of her life. She moved there at 14 with her brother uh, who played basketball professionally. So an interesting story behind it, but she wasn't in that picture with all the French fighters. Maybe they know Zara Farron's got her work cut out for her. Uh, the pick is Cavalcanti here for me, but I couldn't get behind laying the chalk. What do you think about this one, Rich? Yeah, I understand what you're saying about debutantes. You know, octagon jitters is a real thing. We see it all the time. Um, but I think she's good here, man. I think Fern's going to gas out. She's 39. She's on the decline. She was, like you said, in the 145 division, which I think they want to uh, phase out. It's just bullshit, to be honest. Um, and I think in the long run, her ceiling's just low. Like I said, I think this is her last fight in the UFC, win or lose. Um, I do think she loses it. I think that betting on this uh, new girl... Uh, Cavalcanti. Um, I think she's all right, man. She's got decent cardio. She's tenacious. Um, she's been in a five rounder in LFA. Um, she's a bit raw and she's going to run into problems in the UFC, but Fern's not the one to exploit it. So I think you're good, man. 
And uh, I usually don't, don't like doing this. You know, you'll get a minus uh, 350 and you'll bet on, on them in the distance at like plus 100 like uh, uh, this chick is now. And you usually get burnt. I've seen it before. Chaos Williams comes to mind against uh, Bedoya. Uh, people were betting him by knockout. It was a huge favor. And it uh, more often than not, it doesn't work out. But I think you're good here. I'm going to be looking to take some uh, props myself in the later rounds because I do think Fern is going to gas out, man, and uh, get her, get her papers from the UFC, man. Yeah, and two long-term trends that we talk about on this show, uh, from the book Fightnomics, fighters over the age of 38, much more prone to being knocked out than fighters under the age of 38. That's just a fact across men and women's fighting. Uh, and additionally, you know, what's one thing that tends to slow down um, historically for fighters as they get older? Their cardio. It's one of the biggest hits. And in this case, we know Farron's having some problems here with the weight. It was supposed to be a 135. Clearly, it's not happening. Shout out to our guy, Gordo. Plays and fades. Catch weight. Fahrenheit making 135, you know? And so if you can't even make the weight classes that the UFC is going to be contesting moving forward, it's a little bit hard to imagine you have a long future with the company. So uh, best of luck to Zara Farron, but probably tough sledding on Saturday. Yeah, there's a couple of red flags on her side as well. She's very inactive. I'm looking at my notes here. She had a fight in January against Noons um, where she looked a bit shook at times. Uh, I didn't think she was liking the shots to the body. Before that, she had one fight in 2020, one fight in 2019. So at one fight a year, very inactive, very expendable. Uh, and it's obviously the UFC are building up here, man. For sure. Going for that sixth professional win. I think she gets it. Next up. Farid Basharat taking on Clayton Rodriguez. And I feel like this is a punishment fight. You know, you miss weight twice in a row, uh, Clayton Rodriguez. And I feel like the UFC is doing him no favors. You know, he's a big social media A side as well in this card, but I don't really feel the same concerns here just because Farid is a guy that you could tell the UFC likes. Trains in Vegas. He puts in a lot of work with the right guys, um, training with Aljo and crew, you know. Works with a lot of the best 135ers in the world. My guy, Patchy Mix, that people sleep on. So I think that overall, he's just a hammer on the mat. You know, I bet him to win by sub against Damon Blackshear, knowing how many guys had tried and, and failed to sub Damon Blackshear, and it didn't work out. But I just feel like that's where I kind of rate his grappling at this point. I feel like he's going to get takedowns on most of his uh, UFC-level opponents at the lower levels. And Clayton Rodriguez coming up here in weight, we've seen him taken down before. I thought he looked kind of, you know, uh, inactive and lost a little bit on his back at times against Vergara, bad look. So for me, I just feel like Basharat is being set up here to win and and to kind of humble this kid and and make him figure out whether he wants to be a bantamweight or not. What do you think about this one, Rich? Yeah, I agree. There's some dogs on this card that I like, but Rodriguez isn't one man. Uh, the UFC are doing him no favors, like you said, uh, making him fly all the way to Paris, which I don't think he's ever done before, uh, fighting Europe. Um I like Bashrat. I like his style. I like the patience. Um, I like his submissions. That's his preferred method of victory. If you go look at his topology, then you actually watch him fight. Um, I got burnt also on the Blackshear side. I took the late props as well, thought Blackshear was going to gas out. I'm back there again on this one. Um, I think Rodriguez is an athlete. I don't think he's a fighter. Um, he's built. He's got the physique probably on the juice. Um, but that CJ Vergara fight was very um, concerning to me. CJ is bottom tier, in my opinion. He should have finished that fight against Rodriguez by putting the pressure on him, staying in the face of him. And that's what Basharat does, man. He stays in your face, but it's like patient. Um, he gauges um, the distance well and peppers you with shots. So I love round two, round three for Basharat to get him out of there. I think the pressure is going to get to Rodriguez and he's going to do what CJ Vergara couldn't do. 
And on the narrative side, um, there's a couple of fighters in this position. He's a Muslim, Bashrat, in France. Um, I had someone push back on that and be like, you know, there's no Muslims in France. There is. Um, the biggest Muslim population in Europe, right? Exactly. So I like that. Um, and yeah, Bashrat for me, what is he? Uh, plus 220, something like that. ITD, don't hate it. And you could correct me if I'm wrong. I believe the Basharat brothers are former London shoot fighters as well. So I think that yeah. they have a, a longer history in Europe, a little bit more of a presence and a profile there than somebody like Clayton Rodriguez for whatever that's worth. Uh, I think that they've established that as well. Uh, the other thing I'll mention here is the number of pullouts, guys. Clayton Rodriguez, he's withdrawn from two UFC bouts. He was uh, forced to withdraw from the Tetsuro Tyra bout, missing weight by four and a half pounds. So I, I just think that, those are the things that really piss the UFC off. If you get in there and lose, but you give a great effort, it's no problem. But pulling out of fights and then making them cancel fights because he missed weight by so much, Tatsuro Tyra ended up doing what Wonder Boy didn't do, right? He took the replacement a week after. But that's why, you know, it's it puts them in a position where Tyra doesn't get shined up as much. Their plans to promote him get thrown in the mud. So uh, I think that that really is something that they're not going to want to encourage. And I think they're punishing it. Next up, man, let's talk about a fight in the women's bantamweight division. We got Nora Cornoli, Corneli. I don't really know how to pronounce it. Um, I, I defer to my French-speaking audience. God bless you. Uh, Jocelyn Edwards is on the other side here. The Panamanian, I know how to say that. And she is a girl that uh, I'm not super high on, you know, but I also think she's got a bunch of you know, things that would check her, her kind of box in, in a closely lined fight like this in terms of the size, the height, the reach, the UFC experience. So then I have to ask myself, well, then why is it a pick and price? You know, like I, and I think it's number one, it's a fight that's likely to go to decision with a French fighter in France against a non-French fighter. Could they rob her? Yeah, for sure. I think that that's possible. Um, but I also think the girl is pretty aggressive. Uh, Nora, she throws a lot of elbows, you know, it might be the first time in WMMA somebody gets a point taken for a 12 to six. Cause this girl just goes like, and like throws elbows down towards people. And uh, I don't think she's even been warned for it in the fights I watched, but I just feel like Jocelyn Edwards going for some stupid takedown and getting elbowed in the brainstem is very possible here. Um, but in any case, I just, I wasn't blown back by either girl. I don't feel like I need to plant a flag on this fight. Probably just going to let this one go. How do you feel rich? Yeah, I've been back and forth. Um, I tapology bet, didn't bet it. I tapology looked at it, you know, give it a quick glance. And I was like, shit, I'm going to be putting a bet on Edwards. I didn't think I'd fucking hear myself say that. Um, she's one of the worst fighters in the division uh, for me, maybe on the roster in the, the women's division. But um, I've ended up on the core normal side. I actually like her. Um, there were some red flags, you know. She's had three MMA fights this year. Um, she started in like 2019. She's only got like six MMA fights on her record. Very raw, very green, fighting bums. Um, but then I went and fighting bums. Yeah, real bad, bro. Uh, but I did a deep dive, man. And she's fucking a Muay Thai girl. She's had over 30 fights in Muay Thai. Um, so I like that experience. She's got decent stand up. Um, she's tenacious. She's aggressive. She's got high volume. And that's what I think is going to be the difference in this fight, volume and cardio. I think she's going to uh, outpace Edwards, who, in my opinion, is low volume, bad takedown defense, like the worst. Once she's down, she'll spend two minutes thinking about getting back up, and then she'll actually try. Um, meanwhile, you know, she's wasted half the round, and it doesn't look good. 
I watched the interview for this uh, this new chick, and uh, she's talking about game plans, and uh, you know she's going to go in there and uh, you know do what our coaches have like set up for her, which to me just alludes to a a wrestling game plan, just like Alpar did, and fucking Jesse Jess for fuck's sake, Jesse Jess put a wrestling clinic on this girl, and uh, she was trash as, trash as well in my opinion. Uh, Edwards is making the flight over. Uh, that's not good, especially for somebody who's notorious to have weight problems. Um, so, yeah, I've ended up on the Cornell side. Not a huge bet because it's a shit show. I'm fading and shit with shit. But uh, there's a side in every fight, man, and uh, I feel like I found the edge in, an edge in this one. I feel you. And that's the thing, right? The deeper you dig sometimes, the more it can make sense why a line is the way that it is, right? And mm -hmm. you'd have to ask yourself, why are people backing UFC debutante Norna, Nora Carnoli or whatever, right? Who they've never heard of. You know that that's probably sharp players and probably people that are doing due diligence and handicapping a little bit closer. Whereas the, the other fights, like, you know, both uh, casual betters and sharp betters will be taking action. So it will be a little bit harder to read those markets. I feel like it told me something that this market was held so close when everybody I'm seeing on Twitter as well seems to be on the Edward side. It's not to say it can't happen, but just for me, that was enough to stay off it as well. It seems like a very popular pick. I'm not seeing the number react, um, you know, a lot here. And let's look at the topology voting. I would be curious to see uh, where this fight ended up from the topology voting standpoint. Uh, it's about it's about even. So it kind of reflects the odds that we see here as well. 53% on the Jocelyn Edwards side. So. With that being said, we can move along to this next fight here. Uh, should be a little bit more uh, interesting. Angelusa taking on Reese McKee, the return of Reese McKee. Uh, I, I retweeted the video from my guy Prodigy MMA earlier of Reese McKee getting the call about the Kamzat fight. And that, that is just a hysterical moment. Seems like a really down-to-earth guy. And Angelusa goes from being an underdog, like every fight he's had basically in the organization, to being favored here, which is interesting. Um, you know, you got Reese McKee and uh, and as well, uh, Callan Lofren on the card. So I think there's going to be an Irish contingency in the building. I think they're going to travel well. Um, certainly, that's the expectation of both fighters when I was listening to their interviews. So Ireland in the building, you know what I'm saying? The thing is, they're taking on a Swiss fighter and a French fighter, respectively. So it's not like they're going to have the crowd completely behind them, but just, you know, they'll get a little bit of support. Maybe they won't feel so alone out there. but. As far as Angelus's game is concerned, he's just a guy that, you know, at plus money, I've been backing him, you know, because he's pretty durable and he stays in people's face. He throws a decent volume of strikes, but he doesn't set the world on fire either. He, he's not really uh, a guy that I think of as somebody I'd want to back at chalk. Um, he doesn't always mix in his takedowns when he does. Sometimes he blows good positions. I thought he had Jack Della as good as cleaned up and then he just, you know, made some critical errors there. I feel like if he had switched that grip, you know, tried to pass it a little bit deeper, he finishes it. But instead, he just hangs out there, lets the guy keep getting space inch by inch, and then he gets out of the choke. So um, he's not a very potent finisher, not at the UFC level from what we've seen. I do think he's kind of due. He's a big guy that lands a lot of strikes. I feel like he's due to knock somebody out. Uh, Reese McKee, a little bit uh, tall with his defense at times, you know, a little bit upright. Wouldn't be that surprised if he was the victim. But in terms of the price on the money line, it just doesn't seem like something that appeals to me. Uh, it's a dogger pass situation as far as I'm concerned. But it also seems like Reese McKee is another one of these popular plays. So that's the thing that uh, has kept me off his side here. I don't want to let my Irish biases get in the way. So how do you feel about this one, Rich? I like the McKee side. I do. Um, I've been on the looser train. I was there for Fletcher and now I'm jumping off, man. 
He's lucky he got that win over Fletcher. Um, he made me sweat. He nearly got finished in round two. Lusa did. He did like the pressure. And uh, he won that fight because Fletcher gassed, because uh, Fletcher's a bum. I, I don't rate him, man. And that's the reason why I was interested in the dog shot. But I like McKee, man. And I think the UFC are kind of doing him a favor here. You know, they certainly did him no favors in his UFC debut against fucking Shemaev. Um, So I think this is definitely a more favorable, you know, second time round one. And I think it's going to be McKee 2.0. I think he's no longer a kid. He's now a man. You know, it's been three years. He's picked up some wins and um, gone through the fire in the fight of the year versus Berlin. Um, turn Berlin, son. Um, go watch that on YouTube if you haven't. It. It's, it's a banger. Um, and Berlinson was all the hype on Contender Series, if you remember. I was a tough fucker, bro. He put it on him in, uh, sure. in round one, um, split him open, nothing. But this is what I like about McKee. He's going to fight for your money, all heart, um, great stand-up, great um, combo, uh, great shot selection. He's tall, um, rangy. And to me, Looser in this one is going to have to be reliant on takedowns. I think if he stands, he's probably going to get knocked out at some point. Um, after round one. And I just don't believe that he can like um, keep McKee down. He's not accepting bottom position, man. Uh, this ain't Shemaev now. It's fucking Looser, who's expendable. You know, he's a decision machine. UFC don't like that. They're bringing McKee back for a reason because he finishes fights because he's exciting. Um, they haven't made him fly halfway across the world. They've made Looser do that. Um, he's got like an hour flight from the UK. Um, so... I'm on the McKee side, man. And uh, I think this is one of the best dog spots on the card. Well, shout out to you. You know, maybe that makes me feel a little bit better about considering the shot. I feel bullish on a lot of dogs. You know, we've kind of went back and forth a little bit this week. And uh, there's definitely a bunch of dogs that I'm looking at this week. And so for me, it's a matter now of just like picking my spots and, you know, trying not to overinvest on a card like this either. But I do think that uh, there's potentially some, some shots worth taking and Reese McKee. Uh, another guy that has my attention, I, I'm just double-checking here. I believe he fits the criteria of a younger fighter with more experience here. Um, so, again, that is a long-term angle I look to back, and especially because he's got some of these other considerations, it, it probably should push me towards a bet here. So I'll try and time the market on that fight. Next up, Taylor Lapolis at 135 pounds is taking on Kowlin Lofren. And if you want a guy that I'm just going to blindly support every time out in the UFC as a fan, it is Kowlin Lofren. I like his style. Um, he's coming in talking shit, um, having fun with it. Seems like a guy who really doesn't care who he fights, right? Um, he said the French kid went running, can't make weight on a week's notice. What the hell is that? Like, And then he's ready to take on a new challenge here. And Taylor Lapolis, you know, He's not a younger fighter, but he's got double the professional experience. He's fought at a higher level. He fought in the UFC before. He's been around for a really long time, and he's pretty credentials as a striker. But he's a guy that doesn't put out that much volume, you know, and I feel like some of his wins kind of just look look a little strange in terms of, like, I don't know how replicable it is. Like, he hit a sidekick to the body that put down Nate Maness. Nate Maness a little bit tall. He's kind of got that long, slender body. And it was a weird shot that put him down there. He's normally Kentucky barnyard tough, as I like to say. Broke his jaw and just kept fighting. So I think of, uh, you know, a guy like this, Taylor Lapolis, is like not a guy I love to bet on his chalk because he's not a guy who's going to mix in the takedowns, right? He's going to be trying to defend takedowns, keep it on the feet, and throw strikes. And so I feel like in this fight, Callan Loughran, here's what I don't like. He's a little bit hittable, man. He stands stationary uh, at times and boxes with people. But just looking at a guy who's, um, you know, 
pale face, right? Oftentimes we see they take damage poorly, right? They just look bad. He didn't look like that. Like he was taking clean shots of the face from that Hazen guy. And he looked like he was taking the shots well. And when he was hitting his opponent, his opponent's face was turning into a tomato, right? It just looked like he was landing with a lot of power to me. And Lapalus doesn't seem like he has as much power with the hands as he does with the kicks. Um, at least in the fights that I'm watching, he does a good job with the body shots. You know, he puts a bunch of guys down with that, but that last fight that he had, you know, he like hits the guy to the body and the guy like drops to the ground and taps. Like that just seemed like a pretty low level kind of fight to me, uh, at the end of the day. And I feel like this is going to be a kid that will go out there and die for your money. You know, like, I don't think of him as a guy who's going to take a back step, who's going to, um, you know, let his foot off the gas. I think he's going to push it hundred percent and try and finish this guy and try and take him to the ground, especially because what I like from him is his process on the mat. As soon as he gets people to the ground, he's trying to advance his position. He's trying to go to side control. He's trying to get to the mount. And from there, he's pretty hellacious. You know, he'll unload with ground and pound. He'll look for shots. And if people turn and try and like explode up to the feet, he did a good job controlling from the back, not panicking, not doing the thing that everybody does, reaching for the leg and then falling off the side. He was just recomposing himself, getting back underneath the arms, locking with the legs. So I liked his grappling for a European scene fighter. And that's the famous last words, right? But I just feel like these are both European scene fighters at the end of the day. I feel like Laplace was let go on a three and one record for a reason, which is that he wasn't that exciting. And I feel like Callan Lawford's the opposite. I feel like he's very exciting. He's going to go out there and try and push the pace, take this guy down, bring a hellacious fight to him. And uh, for that reason, I think it's another dogger pass situation. I would say at least one of these Irish guys is coming through. Uh, that's how I feel about it. What do you think, Rich? Well, yeah, you just stole my opener. That's what I was going to go with, man. Um, the UFC let him go on a three and one record. They let him go on a win. Um, and now they want to bring him back. This isn't like a McKee situation where they see someone with heart who's grown since they've left and been in like big fights. Um, this is someone they didn't like in the first place, man. And they're just bringing him back because they're in France. Um, I think, yeah, he might even get caught if he wins this one. Who knows, man? He is 31 years old. Um, he's a sprawler and brawler. But like you mentioned, on the side of the Irish, there's many things I don't like, man. Short and stocky, hittable, lack of head movement, stiff striking, plants his feet. Um, I don't think he's for real. But in this fight, I do think he gets the win. And the number is kind of forcing me into a bet, to be honest, um, just based on the fade on the Lapalus side. He's low volume, overly cautious point fighter i think there's going to be a bit of adversity in round one but i expect irish to take over and maybe even get a finish in round two or three um like i said he's on the up he's he's full of confidence uh and the rest of it to be honest he's overconfident i don't like it i don't like these guys like ian gary you know gallagher and bellator um it just comes off a bit phony a bit forced um unlike when mcgregor was on his come up but that, that's another story in this fight i like the underdog and i think irish gets it done after some adversity well, did you listen to the, uh, there was one interview, I think it was sports Skeeta that he did. Um, it's probably like 10 minutes or so. And at, at the end, you know, he was talking about, uh, you know, what did you think of Sean O'Malley's knockout? And he was like, it was fucking class. It was a beautiful knockout shot. And then he's like, I'm not like these other guys who are going to be like, Oh no, I'm the best. And only this, he's like, oh, I'll fucking call it like I see it. And that was fucking beautiful, but I still think I'd whoop his ass. <laughs> so I was like, well, fuck. All right. I like this guy. He, he seems like the genuine article to me, and I'd like to get a beer with him if nothing else. So uh, shout out to him. I think he's a live underdog. And uh, I think that, you know, his best path is on the ground, though. I don't think if he keeps this fight on the feet, uh, it's going to be 
you know, anything clean for him. And the problem is we're in France, right? So like, I think if this goes to a close split decision on the feet, he's losing it. So I think he's got to make sure it's decisive. Kind of like uh, somebody else we'll talk about a little later on in the card mm -hmm. where I felt like he needed to make sure he won those rounds by a, such a margin that uh, the split decision couldn't go against him. But in any case, next up, we got Morgan Charrier, the king of the split decision, taking on Manolo Zaccini. And Manolo Zaccini, I don't know exactly what to make of this guy, brother. Uh, he, he comes out there, he throws a lot of flying knees. You know, he looks a little bit like a uh, a regional level fighter to me, to to be fair. And um, maybe maybe I'm wrong about that assessment, but fighting in Venator FC, not, not super uh, high level production from that. Uh, group. So I feel like Morgan Charrier, you know, Cage Warriors product, ton of professional experience. And I think the reason the UFC waited to sign him until he had this many fights is because he hadn't shown the requisite aggression. And in the last two fights, I feel like he showed that. And that's why they signed him in, in the fight that he just had, he was out there attempting subs frequently looking for positions constantly throwing ground and pound from every spot on the feet, throwing hard shots. He seems like a guy who's finally putting together a pretty aggressive, well-rounded game. And I think that's why he's here now. And I think that's why he's coming in as a big minus 300 favorite. He's got over a hundred thousand followers on Instagram. They don't have to build him up as a local star. He is one. So I think that for that reason, there's a reason uh, I believe, let me just double check this. They have positioned this as the sixth fight on the main card. Uh, according to Tapology, I don't have that confirmed from the ESPN Fight Center, but Tapology is normally right about those things. And so a six fight main card, you know, a fight that's probably I think it's primarily airing on Fight Pass around the world. I think that this is a showcase spot for Morgan Charrier. I think there's a reason why he's one of the only French fighters you've never heard of that came in as a minus 350 favorite in this spot. And I think it's because they're bringing in this other guy who's got a lot of wild fights where he kind of spends himself in the early going and he finishes these lower level guys. But is that going to work against Morgan, who's really durable, who is very difficult to finish? I don't think so. I think Morgan Charrier probably finishes here. And I think that sub is extremely live because he was looking for it all fight last time out. And kind of like on the contender series, Thomas Peterson, you don't have to get it every time. If I see you looking for it constantly and it's a big plus number, it's something that's going to catch my attention. So uh, I think that Charrier wins and I think he does it on the ground. So um, give me Charrier, ITD. What do you think? Yeah, like you mentioned with the uh, socials, the Instagram, uh, on the other side of this, um, this Italian fellow, he's got like 6K for on the regionals against nobodies. He likes his kicks. Uh, um, in fact, he spams his kicks too much, man. It's pretty predictable. But the big deficiency is the ground game, man. He doesn't want any part of it. Um, so if I don't see Cherie show some IQ and take him down in this one and cash the plus 800 on the sub, he's blacklisted forever for me. Um, this is a smash spot for him. He has shit the bed before as a minus 300 in Cage Warriors twice. He got rubbed in one of them against Jordan, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, he should he should smash in, in this uh, position. It's a total layup from the UFC. Um, he can be a bit too patient sometimes, try and make it a bit too pretty in the striking. Um, but yeah, he should take the path of least resistance because it's there, man, and uh, cash us this plus 800. That would be beautiful. Yeah, and I, I actually didn't bet the prop uh, because the only place that still has the plus 800 right now for me is in New Jersey, and I haven't been there. Um, I, I told you last night, I was supposed <laughs> to come home and record my first look. I got home. I laid down in bed for five minutes after jujitsu. I woke up and it was 12 noon, my brother. I, I ha have never slept like that uh, in years. So I feel rested, recovered, and great. But 
Um, wasn't able to make it over to Jersey. I will be taking a look at that prop if I can get it because it's plus 500 or so on most of the U.S. domestics now. And I think that that's uh, very smart. Yeah, plus 800 down to plus 375, says Gordo in the comments. And I think that that's pretty sharp movement. You were probably a part of that. So good. Well, well done there. Well, you can get it at two bucks still. You can get it at 750 and you can get it at 800 on uh, Bet365 and Betway. So if you have access to them, man, it's, it's yep. still there. It both of them, and it's only in Jersey. <laughs> so right. I'll be I'll be taking the trip over over the border later today. But in any case, we've got next up a fight that I'm anxious to talk about. Um, you know, speaking of all the switch arounds that happened on this card, it's a result of our guy Yanis Gemuri telling the UFC, "Hey guys, uh, it'd be much better for me if I could go up to 145. Big fellow, muscular guy." Uh, for that bantamweight division. So now he's coming up here to 145 pounds to take on the Jaguar, uh, William Gomis. And I think that this is a, a fight where it's a dog or pass situation pretty clearly to me, right? Uh, talking about the dynamics of a lot of these fights that go to decision, we're talking about, man, maybe they could screw us. Maybe they give it to the French fighter. Not here, right? We've got a French Algerian taking on another French fighter, right? So I feel like it's kind of a wash in that regard. Now let's talk about the skills and the matchup. I feel like we've got a guy in Gamori who probably presents problems to Gomis in every phase of the fight. Um, you know, I think Gomis, not a bad fighter, but not a guy who's winning fights by a big margin either. His last two wins in the UFC, one as a favorite, one as a dog, both via very narrow split decision where his round three optics were looking dicey at best. So um, I think this is a, a live underdog situation. I have more to say, but I want to kick it over to you first, Rich. What do you think? Well, first off, um, this is just a bit suspect to me. Uh, we've got French fighter versus French fighter. The whole shifting of the card sort of thing to make this matchup. They're friends. They know each other. Um, I've seen Freight this week. They're having pictures taken together with the other fighters. So obviously they're like, uh, you know, interacting, conversing, the rest of it. So you could say it's likely to be a sparring match between these two, which it often is when you get two friends fighting each other. And they don't want to hurt each other, just do enough to win. Um, but why the hell is Gomez like a, a minus 200, minus 250 favorite? It makes zero sense in this situation. Um, to be honest, I'm going to trash him. Um, he's a weasel. He didn't win the last fight against Marshall. It was a bit of a robbery. Um, in round three, he almost got finished. Marshall finally got the takedowns and exposed him like I thought he would have done earlier in the fight. Um, but he just left it a little bit too late. He lacks wrestling. Um which is ironic to say because he was able to get that done against Aaron's um, and that's how he got the decision. But we've seen from Aaron's now that guy has huge holes in his ground game. He's happy to play off his back and uh, lose minutes on his back. So I just think he's been very fortunate with his two fights in the UFC. Um, he's not a finisher, which the UFC don't like. And then now we have him against Yanis, a Muslim in France. On all the steroids in the world, go check out the picture that I posted on my Twitter. The guy's jacked, um, definitely on the juice. Uh, he's strong with his body locks, so I don't think Gomez is going to be able to get them takedowns and just weasel a decision out. Um, he's a K1 kickboxer formerly, 15-0 record. You can see that in his stand-up. Um, his kicks are nasty, especially the calf kicks. You know, he really snaps it back. Um, so, you know, I could even see that being a finish. You know part the only thing i don't like on the yanis side and i if you're betting yanis i might even hedge on gomez via sub is he is very susceptible to the submissions 
But I do think that is low percentage coming from the Gomez side. Um, but it's still something to be aware of. You know, you, you don't want to be up two rounds and then Gomez get so much opportunistic sub. Um, it'll just break your heart, man. But I think Yanis is the side, dog or pass situation. Um, and yeah, I'm likely going to take it, man. Well, if it gives you any comfort, Gomez's only career win by sub was a first round guillotine choke in Hexagon MMA in 2021 against yeah. some guy I've never heard of. So, and it was bullshit. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel like his ground game, honestly, I thought Jarno Aaron's kind of exposed him there. Um, went for a few submission attempts that nearly had him, especially in that third round when both guys are sweaty. He was able to pull himself out. He was able to, you know, uh, to your point, kind of weasel his way through a few dicey positions there. But Jarno Aaron's then knocks a guy out and is on top in half guard and looks like he's a complete incompetent, right? Um, just had no idea what to do to advance position or to finish the fight. So um, I think that that kind of exposed where maybe Gomez is getting overrated by the market here. He beat Francis Marshall one and one in the UFC with a loss in the first round by finish against the UFC debutante and the very talented Isaac Dolgarian. So take nothing away from that. But then Jarno Aaron's 0-2 in the UFC, you know, two losses now in a row, could get cut off of that performance. That's who William Gomez beat. He did it by split decision twice. It's like that that actually doesn't tell me that he's like head and shoulders above, you know, a guy like uh, you know, his opponent here. And when you look at a guy like Gamori, here's what I expected to see. I expected to see, you know, a French guy go out there and kickbox, but when it was getting dicey for him on the feet in one fight, he got hit with a shot and it like rattled him and he recomposed himself, got a takedown, didn't rush, right? Didn't go, Oh, let me step over to the mount. So it was back on the feet instantly. He held the guy down. He made him tired. And then he realized, oh, this guy has nothing for me. So then he came out in round three and about 15 seconds in, he was like, get over here and just threw the guy to the mat. And that was a Belarusian guy in uh, Belarus. I believe they fought that night. And the commentators were uh, schlobbing on, on the Belarusian fighter all fight. And then at the end of the fight, it was like 12 minutes before they read the split decision result. Like they were out there like, can we rob him? No, I don't think we can rob them. Like they, they had a discussion, a meeting, and then they came back out and they're like, are people going to throw things in the cage? Like, all right, we got to do this very gently, split decision. Both guys got to hug each other and say it's all good. Like, And I feel like when you're fighting under those circumstances, I felt like he was not being that aggressive. You look at his other fights, he's whipping low kicks. He's hurting guys with shots. He's looking for stuff on top too. He's going for takedowns. Like, I just don't think of him as a guy that's going to go out here in this fight and not do anything. I think he's going to try and push the action. I think he's going to be the fighter who's coming forward. Gomez does a lot of evasive footwork and trying to stay away. He's landing 30 significant strikes a fight and winning by split decision. He's being priced like he's, you know, the lock of the century. Give me the dog. Period. It's a pick em, bro. It should be a pick em. Uh, minus fucking 110, minus 110. Let's see, let's see what happens. And instead, you're getting plus 200 on the one side. It's very simple, man. Yep, I'll find out. <laughs> Next up, brother, we got Volkan. No time, Ozdemir taking on Bogdan Guskov. And does no time refer to his amount of time left with the UFC? We will find out on Saturday because to tell you the truth, guys, I, I have a weird feeling that Volkan Ozdemir is coming to the end of his UFC run. You know, um, we don't see it all that often, but we do see it from time to time where guys come in and they are like, you know, a supernova, right? They just burn out really quick. Right. And they come in, they get to the big title shot. They get to some of their opportunities. You know, he's had some things go sideways in his personal life, disrupted his training, had to move back uh, to Europe. So 
I felt like it kind of derailed some of his momentum. Then he went out there against some top guys. He's had some really hard results, you know, got knocked out brutally by Yuri. And I felt like we've seen a little bit more tepid, a little bit more conservative performances. The Paul Craig win, it was fine, but I felt like he looked vulnerable on the feet against Paul Craig. And that's a suspect thing to be, you know, at that stage, right? Paul Craig, now a 185 pounder. You're not going to see this guy, Bogdan, in my humble opinion, drop down to 185 pounds, right? He's like the 205 pound, uh, you know, uh, Uzbekistani Anthony Smith. And I feel like he's going to come out here and he is a guy that's kill or be killed, right? And that means he might get knocked out here, but we haven't seen Volkan Ozdemir landing knockout shots since he knocked out Ilir Latifi, who was injured and moved up to heavyweight afterwards at 205 pounds in 2019. So he's not knocking guys out frequently. He has not knocked somebody down in his last five UFC fights. He's absorbed two knockdowns over that same period. He's a guy that's getting hurt more. He's getting leg kicked more frequently. He's not uh, reacting to shots as well. And he's getting taken down by Nikita Krilov five, six times in a row, not looking like he wants to be out there. So all those things are big red flags to me. Here's the, the bonuses for Vulcan. He's got way more UFC experience. He fought for a title for fuck's sake. He's fighting a guy who's a debutante. So I understand the argument for Vulcan. Trying to project when guys are going to fall off is not easy. But I just feel like I've seen some regression. I've seen it track out in the numbers and in the eye test. And so I think there's a reason they're putting Bogdan on this main card. On a UFC debut, I feel like they want him to go out there and get a big finish and cut this guy's contract that's $100,000, $200,000 per fight and replace it with this 12 and 12 for a guy who's going to go out there and kill or be killed every fight at light heavyweight, which is exactly what they're looking for, in my humble opinion. So I feel like Bogdan, dangerous guy, dangerous by all methods here. And the one thing I will note is he doesn't have many extended fights, but there was one fight where he got rocked badly in the first round. My biggest concern about him is his chin because he's been hurt twice. Uh, the fight where he got knocked out in the first round, I mean, it's light heavyweight. That's going to happen to people. But in addition, he had one fight where he got rocked in the first round and he had to recover. But in that fight, he actually was showing some dangerous elements off his off his back. And then he got on top. He got to some good positions. He ended up finishing with a triangle choke. So I feel like Bogdan's ground game isn't a complete zero. He's training with Johnny Walker and crew. I feel like he's a guy that's putting in the right work, trains at ATT Moscow as well half the time. And that's a guy who's training with Russians in Russia, you know, not just in Uzbekistan with guys you've never heard of. I feel like that's all a feather in his cap. So um, give me Bogdan here as a dog uh, outright. What do you think? I think a lot of things on this fight, bro. Um, one thing that I did overlook, though, which you mentioned, is Volkan's contract. Obviously, he fought for a title fight. So he will be on, like you say, 200K. And uh, you know the UFC are cheap as fuck, bringing in the Dana White Contender Series fighters every week. And they want to, um, you know, slash that wage budget. Um, but yeah, the things I've got, bro, is if you're betting on Volkan in this fight, you need help, man. He's been digressing in every single fight that he's in. Since the Dominic Reyes fight, when he lost the chance to fight for the belt, that's a that's hugely disheartening, man. And ever since that one, he's just fought shit. Um, Paul Craig should have KO'd him. Couldn't get it. Uh, Cry Love got took down like seven or so times. Um, just didn't have that like fire in him anymore. I think the whole, you know, no time KO thing is just gone. Isn't what it was. And I can't hate on him too much because he was one of my biggest prop caches when he fought Jimmy Manawa. He was something like six to one for the KO. Uh, and he found it easily and cashed 
cash me big, man. So um, I've always got a place for Volcam. But you have to fight. Um, you have to pick with your head, man. And this Guskov guy, he's dominant MMA. He's Ali Sleaze. Um, people have heard me whine about this before, man. They get favorable fat, uh, matchups. Ali and Dana are in bed together. These guys are always getting title fights. Al Bazzi, uh, Mackenzie Dern, fucking uh, Henry Cejudo. They're always there. They're always getting the favors. Henry's always, um, Ali's always making the 20% on, on the wages. Um, he's got power in his hands. He's a brain belt in BJJ, which I think is very important to note because the, uh, the biggest blemish on Volcan is his ground game. And I think this guy is slick as fuck with his jiu-jitsu, especially for the weight class. Um, there was the one fight, if you all want to go and watch it, it's on, it's on YouTube. He pulls up a triangle. And if you know your BJJ, I know a little bit. People know a lot more than me. But it was slick as fuck how he did it and set it up, man, and threw his legs up. Um, so I think if it goes to the ground in, in any way, whether that's Volcan, like taking him down, someone catching a kick or something, the sub is very live. And if you want to bet on Guskov by submission, you can get it at 22 to 1. Um, that's just mental price. You have to stick a tenner on that. Sorry, $10 on that. Um, Uzbekistan, we know they're getting the hype. And I know all the squares on Volcan because I've, I've been in the DMs chatting to some people. They're all mentioning the skill level. Look at like Dominic Reyes and uh, Ankalaev. This Guskov um, can't hang with them. And maybe not, but I've just got one name for you, and that's uh, Ruby Boev, the guy who came in. Same situation, Uzbekistan, shit record, fake fights. And what did he do? He goes out there in round one and KOs uh, Bruno Ferreira. So you have to pay attention to these things. I think this is a, a great dog or pass situation. And if you're betting Volcan or you're betting Volcan by KO at like plus 100, something stupid like that, then... Um, yeah, we just see things a bit differently, man. But good luck to you. Uh, I'm on the Guskov side, and I'm uh, betting the submission. I'll stick like ten, twenty dollars on that. Yeah, and the thing is, like, if he was out there going to split decision with all these bums that he was fighting, then I'd be right there with everybody. Like, yeah, this guy's just not going to hack it in the UFC. But like, most of those guys, he just treated accordingly. And I felt like the guys that he fought that were tougher, you know, he lost to one of them. And then he beat one of them where he got hurt and then rallied back. He had a couple of fights earlier in his career where it looked like he was facing some resistance as well. But they kind of put people on a track, right? If they see that you have some kind of talent, they might give you easier fights and get you to the big show. And I kind of feel like that's how it's going. Um, yeah. So one thing I will mention, uh, the only bad thing I can say about Guskov that I can see is he might have a Johnny Walker chin. I have seen him drop twice. Uh, one yep. was by a jab, but you could argue he was um, too aggressive on the offense. So when people do that, it doesn't take much more than a jab to uh, rock you or put you down. Um, but I'm still willing to roll the dice on that for the price. And like I say, people, if you want the submission, it's like 22 to 1. How can you ignore that? I don't hate the under one and a half, which some people were talking about. I've had a bad time predicting Vulcan um, totals, right? I've lost some money betting his fights not to go to decision. So I won't be going back to that well, but just Bogdan does strike me as a killer be killed kind of fighter. You know, he's very aggressive, comes out there, gets in people's face. And, you know, if anybody was to draw it back out of Vulcan, he is a counter guy. You know, he's a guy that likes to throw when people are throwing at him, but I just haven't seen the same fire to your point, And I haven't seen the same power either. So um, let's see what happens here, but I, I do feel like it's a dogger pass situation. You're buying some unknowns on the Guskov side, but we have seen the real Anthony Smith, the U S Anthony Smith, take this guy down and submit him. Right. 
And uh, I feel like the same thing is live to happen here with Uzbekistan, Anthony Smith. Um, Rips and Pick says, what's up, Liam, Rich, and chat? Excited for the card. Let's get that money. You know it, brother. And the, uh, you know, the big uh, Twitter battle of the week has come to a head on this next one. It's Benoit, St. Denis, and Tiago Moises. And to tell you the truth, I don't feel great about this um, bet because I do worry that people are mushing it. And I do worry that it's a popular play. But I like the Benoit, St. Denis side at the earlier numbers, at the minus 110 when this opened up. And I just think that he brings some things to the table that make Tiago Moises uncomfortable. He's a high-pressure guy. He throws heavy shots. He's got a lot of power. And he's big and physical. You know, he comes down from a, a fight at 170 where Elisi Zaleski Dos Santos used him to, for target practice, right, for the first two rounds. And then he's out there in round three landing shots, standing in his face. I was like, I can't believe it. Is this guy going to come back and, you know, beat uh, my guy Elisi? Like, I literally was starting to sweat, and I had a lot of money on him uh, on the money line. So I was just like, wow, this guy is insane. He's very strong. He's a very tough guy. And I feel like I think of him as a guy that will never quit. Right. Like, I feel like him as a guy that you could knock him out. Maybe you submit him. You're just more technical, but he will never be like, oh, this is I don't like how this is going. I'm, I'm showing up and covering up and getting out of here. And I did feel, unfortunately, that's what happened to Tiago Moises against Joel Alvarez. I felt like Joel Alvarez got in his face, put in a bunch of, uh, you know, hard pressure throwing big shots. There was nothing super technical about it. Right. He's just hammering him with kicks, elbows, just like throwing shit. And this guy was like. I do not like this. I am uncomfortable. He covered up. He started to see his own blood. He looked around. He put himself against the fence and he waited for the referee to intervene. I do not think Benoit St. Denis will ever do that. When he was completely rocked, he was like sprinting away, turn around, throw four big shots. Like he will just throw until his until he has nothing left to give. And I don't think he's easy to out-wrestle. He's extremely strong and physical. I don't think he's going to be easy to out-grapple. Um, and I've seen before, there's a few times in life where you will see guys that are better at jiu-jitsu lose to people that are better at being uh, strong as shit and physical and can wrestle your ass to the ground and punch you in the face while it's happening. You know, this is not going to be a gi jiu-jitsu match for the world championship. Uh, and I think that's what some people are, are relying on here on the Moises side. I feel like Benoit Saint-Denis is just a more violent, dangerous individual. And I feel like he's turned on from second one. I feel like Tiago Moises often takes a little bit to get going. So he's a guy that I felt like he should have knocked out Alexander Hernandez. I bet him there. I felt like he should have knocked out a couple of these guys. He's not hitting them with that much power. He hasn't recorded a knockout yet in the UFC. So I feel like he's pretty submission reliant in this fight. If this goes to the cards, I think they're robbing the shit out of Tiago Moises personally because this has been Wasse Saint Denis. This is a fucking soldier. This is a French soldier. All right. <laughs> I feel like they are going to be like, it fucking respect the troops. All right. We're robbing you. Okay. Respect the troops. Like, I just think Benoit Saint Denis, if this goes to the cards, he's going to get a little bit of favorable judging. But I also think he could finish this fight. I think he can knock him out. The odds makers feel the same way I do, right? They're open at plus 275. I don't have any interest in that number, really. But I'm just saying, like, that's how I felt like it was going to go. Odds makers are kind of shading towards that same outcome. Um, give me Benoit Saint-Denis, KO1. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i confident in this one. And I'll tell you how confident I am. I've even agreed to do a fucking disgusting shoey bet with Pepe on it. Me uh, too, bro. But with Dan <laughs> Levy. Fucking hell. We're all going to be drinking beer and spit. Disgusting. Um yeah, I'm on the Benoit side. Um, I think Moyes is a jiu-jitsu guy. I don't think he's got hands. Like you say, he's never KO'd anybody in the UFC. When people have put hands on him, like Alvarez did, uh, he didn't like it at all. Didn't like the pressure. 
Um, Saint Denis, he's a, a one of the UFC stars we've seen on social media. Me and you chatted about it. We did some uh, some research. You know, he's a big favorite in France. Uh, no quitting him. Got a mental edge. Um, never going to quit. We'll fight for your money. And I think that just that intense pressure that he brings is going to be too much for Moises. Making the flight over. Um, and I know he's not American, but he fights in America. And on the last card, zero Americans, one man. They were all brought over to fucking take an L. And I think uh, Moise is going to do that. I think he's had favorable fights. If we look at his uh, record, uh, Michael Johnson, when he was going through that, you know, I'll just tap to anything stage. Uh, and he tenated him in the first round. Need I remind people like that? Michael Johnson almost stopped that fight. Yeah. Uh, Bobby Green. Who's always looking to fucking uh, shit the bed as a as a heavy favorite? Alex Hernandez, you know, you want to talk about mental problems? I know he's come good of late uh, with some favorable fights, but Alex Hernandez back in the day, uh, he was just a mental midget. Um, and yeah, another thing as well, he's got two subs in his last two fights, uh, Moises, and uh, I don't like that. I like you know betting against the uh, probability. So I just think it's a bit square to be thinking, oh. You know, Benoit's going to take people down and sub them. He can't do that to Moises because Moises is the far better jiu-jitsu practitioner. Um, we've seen it plenty of times when you have two grapplers go together. It's a KO and vice versa. You have two strikers together and someone ends up getting fucking subbed. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm there with you, man. Benoit by KO. Um, it was like plus 300 or almost 300. Uh, last time I looked, I think that's a nice line, man. And uh, I'm I'm taking it. Fair enough, man. And that's the thing. I, I'm tempted, but I wanted like a four to one, a five to one on the KO. Because I do think, it, here's the thing that I think people will say, this is impossible, but it's it's plausible. It's just not a good number. Benoit Saint-Denis can win this fight by submission, okay? Did you guys see what Islam Mahashev submitted him with? It was breaking. It wasn't, I'm more technical at jiu-jitsu than you. It was eventually they had a hard-fought scrap. It didn't go his way. And he was like, all right, I'm out of here. You know, he kind of just gave up in an exchange where they were scrambling. And he was like, all right, this guy is never going to stop. So I feel like Benoit Saint-Denis is kind of the same way. And maybe he gets caught. Maybe he gives up a position. But barring that happening, I feel like he's going to look like the hindsight favorite here. I do not see Tiago Moises out wrestling him either. Um, Tiago Moises doesn't normally do that, right? He's normally either striking on the feet or he's pulling some crazy submission out of nowhere. Pops on your back, falls to the ground with, uh, you know, a straight ankle lock. Is that really going to work here? I just don't, I don't really see it. So I feel like with a guy like um, Benoit Saint Denis, you're going to have to break it. You're going to have to choke him unconscious. Like it's not going to be like, oh, I'm in the position. So all right, I got to see you later. It's like I don't I don't see him as that guy. I feel like he's going to be like, choke me out, bro. Like put see if you can put me to sleep. You know, because I I don't think he's a quitter at all. Yeah, and I'll add, bro, if you want like a play-by-play -play how I think it's going to go down, I think that Benoit is still going to implement his takedowns. But I just don't think that um, Moises is that good off his back. And um, I just think he's going to wilt to the pressure. You know, probably round two, is uh, the KO is going to come. It's going to be a bit competitive in round one where Benoit's on him, trying to look for subs maybe. And he obviously isn't going to get it when Moises is fresh. And then Moises just accepts defeat. That's the way I see it going in round two. Um, it's like I try and look for the X factor in the fights, like I was mentioning with the newbie versus Jocelyn Edwards. For me, that fight is all about cardio and pressure and tenacity which the new girl brings um and in this fight the x factor is heart um the willingness to win and uh i just think moise is um breakable man 
and uh, that's how I see it going. Agreed. Agreed. So cheers to that. Glad we see it the same way on one of the more contentious fights of the week. And uh, if we're wrong, at least we'll be drinking chewies together. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we got Manon Firo taking on Rose Namajunas. And if you guys have watched this show for a long time, you might know me as one of the biggest Rose Namajunas um, doubters that there's ever been, right? But I look back at the context of those times where I was doubting her and I feel like I was justified enough, you know, Zhang Wei Li, what have we seen from her ever since dominant wrestling pressure on top. And I felt like that's how you got to Rose, you know, bring some pressure to her, some physicality really weigh on her, uh, make her feel it. This is kind of the opposite of that, right? Manon Faro likes to keep a little bit of distance, likes to plod with her shots a little bit on the outside, you know, pick away, go for leg kicks, go for some uh, one twos, you know, some teeps to the body, I feel like when I look at this kind of fight on paper, I say to myself, you know, number one, who's got more finishing upside? That's what I always like to look at in a women's fight because sometimes there's women's fights where nobody has a chance to finish, right? And I just think of Rose Namajunas as kind of an underrated finisher maybe in this matchup. Um, you know, dangerous uh, knockouts, right? Shocked me. I, I lost a bunch of coins on the Zhang Wei Li first knockout. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> that surprised me. And then I played it again, right? Second fight. I thought she won it, uh, Zhang Wei Li, but it was like pick them at best, right? I didn't think I got the best of the numbers. So I'm like, all right, I'm wrong on Rose Namajunas more often than not. I got to approach her with some uh, caution and confidence, or excuse me, caution rather than confidence. Manon Faro, you know, I took the shot on Myra Buena Silva for less than half a unit, but I was like, I feel like she could mix in some takedowns, some wrestling, some grappling. She didn't do that. She elected to strike with her on the feet for the most part. And, you know, it was somewhat competitive, but again, another you know, stylistically favorable matchup for Manon because Myra's not that fast. You know, she's kind of static and she likes to do that Muay Thai, like plod. I, yeah, uh, I think Ozzy calls it glove sniffing. Um, so <laughs> when I look at, at this kind of matchup, right, I say to myself, Rose is probably a little bit more dangerous in terms of the knockout threat. Manon hasn't knocked out anybody her own size. She knocked out the Tabitha Ricci's undersized girl, um, you know, Victoria Leonardo, who hasn't knocked out Victoria Leonardo. No offense. It's just like, Everybody she's fought has done that, right? So I'm not going to give her super credit for that. Who else is knocking out Zhang Wei Li? Who else is like, yeah, there, there's really not as much of a sample size there. The only success Amanda Lemos, one of the biggest punchers in the division had, was uh, you know a handful of right hands and a few guillotine attempts. So I feel like on paper, Rose Namajunas, more knockout upside, more submission upside. You know, who's more likely to get uh, you know an opportunistic back take in this fight? I feel like that's Rose Namajunas. So... Finishing upside, I'm, I'm favoring Rose. When it comes down to, you know, who's the bigger girl, I do think Manon Faro might have a little bit more physicality. I think the path for Manon to, like, beat Rose is to kind of just push her into the fence, hold her up there, land a couple short shots, and then when it's at distance, you know, keep it close and competitive, and then hope that the judges give it her way. And I feel like that's very possible. Um, so it's, it's a tricky one for me, man. I, I feel like this is a fight where, I don't feel bullish on playing it. Like I don't have a bet on Rose, but I just don't feel good about Manon Faro as not as good as I thought I was going to at the beginning of the week because she's not finishing some of these girls that I feel like she should be finishing. And as she stepped up in competition, she looks fine, but she's not blowing these women out by a big margin. Rose Namajunas at her best, a championship level fighter. And last time out, she fought her friend, guys. I said this before the fight. We talked about it. I bet 10 units on Carlos Barza. Um, they're friends. They're, they're buddies. Carlos Barza got married a week later. Um, shout out uh, library in the chat. I believe he was on that as well. You know, it's like, that was a spot where 
I felt like Rose didn't put forward her best effort straight up. I did not think she tried to win that fight. I didn't think she tried to hurt Carlos Barza at any point. She said, I was trying to be defensive. I was trying to prove a point there. And people were just like, oh, okay, fair enough. Like nobody ever asked deeper questions in MMA. Like why didn't they fight each other for that whole 25 minutes that they were out there? But for me, I'm just going to say, I feel like they were friends and they went out there with no intention to hurt each other. And they just, you know, they, that's what they did. I feel like in this fight, what, what is Manon Faro to Rose? She's just some girl. I feel like she's going to try and kick her in the head. I feel like she's going to try and take her back and choke her out. Um, so I don't feel comfortable uh, on the Manon side here. I do think if it goes to decision, you know, you might as well start ripping them up. I feel like it's going to be uh, tough sledding for Rose there. But I think Rose ITD uh, is an interesting play this week. She's a finished reliant fighter a lot of the time. She kind of slows down sometimes, even over three-round fights, when she fights really intense from, from Jump Street. So I think she might come out here and try and kill her in the first two rounds. What do you think? Yeah, you covered a lot of it, bro, to be honest. Um, but we're on the same page. I like Rose. Um, I like the submission. It was something like plus 600. Uh, I'm going to trash, trash Firo. Um, I don't like her at all. I think she's had favorable matchups. You touched on it. Leonardo, Ricci upper weight class. Breno Silva, who's got no hands. Um, you know, Maya was a decent win, but there was times in there when Maya kicked her. I remember, I think, in round two, and then she straight away looked for the takedown Manon. She didn't like that at all. Uh, Chukagian, that's just a sparring match, and she got the better of it slightly. Um, so that is what it is. She just had surgery on a knee, uh, Manon. She got back from that at 100% on May 15th. So she's only been really training um, for a couple of months. I think she's going to be rusty in this fight. Um, I don't know much about knee surgeries and shit, but I can imagine it's not good having them at 33 years old. Um, I don't think she's that marketable. She doesn't speak English. Um, she's a four at best, let's be honest, man. Um, you don't really want to be putting her on many posters. And uh, on the Namajuna side, man, she's going to have a chip on her shoulder. She feels like she won the fight against Carla. Thankfully, she didn't um, because you and I, we both bet on Esparza. Um, and to pat myself on the back, my record's pretty good on Rose. Um, uh, you showed me how to check that out on BetMMA. Um, but yeah, I think Rose gets it done here. Like you mentioned, man, she's fought JJ, Wiley. She's even finished them. She's been in there with better strikers than Manon. I hate Manon's game. She does the uh, Chukagian, you know, ha, 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 after every strike to try and sway the judges. I don't think her strikes are that impressive. Like when she finished Ricci and Leonardo, she was just bum-rushing them. Um, and they just couldn't she couldn't take the pressure because, um, you know, I'll give her this. She hits hard, but I think she lacks technique. This is Rose's fight to lose. And um, it looks like I'm betting fucking underdogs or, <laughs> for, for the whole card, man, because I'm on Namajunas, man. Yeah, and I've definitely considered it, man, especially those finished props, like I mentioned. I feel like they'll probably rob her if it goes to the, to the cards, but I think that this is the kind of fight where Rose Namajunas, dangerous girl, like just plain and simple. Like if you can <laughs> knock people out with head kicks and take their back and finish them in one exchange, I don't think Trevor Whitman is in the corner uh, for Rose. I'd have to double check that uh, to answer the question from Nicholas in the chat, but I believe that she's working with Pat Barry um, and, and a few other uh, women and stuff like that. So uh, let me, let me get back to you, um, potentially in the comments section. So, uh, hit me Bro. up. if That's still a question for you. Yes. <laughs> Fero is a nine in England. That's some shade, man, but I'm not going to push back on it. That's funny shit. Um, <laughs> oh, that is funny, man. Yeah. Uh, the the one other thing I wanted to mention here though, is she's moving up in weight, right? That's what everybody's going to say. 
He's got 65-inch reach. She's only two inches shorter than Fioro. So she's basically at a slight frame disadvantage. But Rich, he actually checks one of my like long-term angles, which is fighter with more experience that's younger. And this is in a big fight, big opportunity. Who's had more big fights and opportunities in the UFC? Manon Faro or Rose Namajunas? And then ask yourself this next question, right? Who would they prefer for business moves forward in this spot? And truthfully, I feel like that is Rose Namajunas. Why? Because she's got 2.3 million followers on Instagram. She's the younger fighter. And her versus Valentina Shevchenko, her versus these other women in the division, I feel like sells. And I feel like it's a more marketable fight for the UFC. Whereas Manon Faro is marketable in France. That's it. That that That's the long and the short of it, in my view. So uh, I would be more interested in the dog here um, personally. Yeah. But I, I'll do a little bit more tape before I pull it. People are putting a lot of oh. stock in, in – um, sorry. Um, oh, yeah, people are putting a lot of stock in the going up in weight. But that was inevitable as she gets older. She's not going to make fucking 115 for the rest of her life. Um, and the metrics, like you pointed out, aren't that different. And even if they were, man, like I said to somebody who was giving me shit on Twitter for it, if um, if height mattered, Stefan Struve would have been champ, but he weren't. He was getting knocked out by Mark Hunt, who's like five foot two. So whatever. Fair enough. And that brings us to the main event of the evening. Guys, make sure if you haven't already, drop a like on this video. Get subscribed to the channel. Almost 100 people still rocking with us live. So appreciate each and every one of you guys for the support. But make sure you show that love before you get on out of here. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can drop those below in the comment section, and I will get back to you before the fights get underway. But we got Cyril Gon taking on Sergey Spivak in the main event at heavyweight. Rich, without further ado, we'll kick it over to you, my man. How do you feel? How do I feel, bro? What can I say? I fucking, I've said plenty on Twitter about it. I've planted my flag. I'm on Gon. Um I was on Gone before I found out that Aspinall is in Paris. Aspinall's not there to give um, Spivak another beating in like a minute. He's there because Gone's going to beat the shit out of Spivak. He's going to do a face-off in the cage afterwards, and they're going to have a contender fight to fight the winner of Jones and Miocic, if that fight happens. Um, so I like that little narrative of Aspinall being there. But forget about that, man. I like Gone. I'm buying the dip. I think Spivak is shit. People are talking about, oh, it's you know, really binary. He's going to take him down and expose the ground game of uh, Gone. He's not. Even if he does get him down with these judo trips um, that he's got, I don't think he's got the minerals, man, to fucking keep Gone down or to get a submission. Let's look at his subs. Uh, Taito Avasa, uh, Derek Lewis, they're the only two subs that um, Spivak has got in the UFC, and they're both head and arm chokes. What do we know about head and arm chokes? It's when people quit um, pretty much. It's in round two, round three. And that's exactly what happened to these two fuckers, man. They were getting taken down, rinse and repeat. And they were getting back to their feet, man. But he kept taking them down with these trips and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, I don't put too much stock in Spivak's ground game. I think it's very overrated when he fights anybody half decent, like Walt Harris, who's a bit dynamic and fast on the feet, or at least was at the time when they fought, or you know, big Ty Bora or Tom Aspinall, he's just getting flattened, man. I think Garn finishes him in round two or three. I don't mind a sprinkle on Garn by submission at plus 300. Like I've alluded to, man, um, Spivak's no fucking BJJ maestro. He's not out there with arm bars and fucking buggy chokes and all this kind of shit. Um, and, and go look at him in the Ollie fight, man. Um, Ollie was like all of 40 years old. It went to decision. 
He was even reversing positions on the ground. He was looking for submissions. Well, obviously, he's going to. It's Ollie. But um, he was getting better the better of him on the feet at some point, man, in the fight. So I think Spivak's trash, man, and I don't understand it. I think people are putting way too much in the John Jones finish, which I think was suspect as fuck. Uh, I bet Jones in that fight, a sizable bet. I bet the submission plus 700, something stupid like that. Um, I think it was a bit fugazi the way it went down, man. I think this is the uh, the reward for giving John Jones the fucking, uh, you know, the win there. Um, if you believe in your narratives. The only thing I don't like on the Spivak side is his dominance MMA. Uh, he may be on the juice. You know, his physique's changed a bit. Um, he's able to fucking, like, you know, pick Derek Lewis up and drop him on his head like four or five times. But I can't go on that alone. I'm on the uh, gone side, and um, it's probably ITD, man. Round two. Um, I'm going for round two. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think it's gone, and I do think it's gone ITD. Um, yeah. Let me let me talk about why. You know, I think Sergey Spivak, not a bad fighter, but just a guy who I think has a clear athletic ceiling. You know, when he's got a favorable stylistic matchup, and he also is at like athletic parity. He's going to look like a monster. You go back and look at that tie to Avasa fight. That fight back in the day is like Sergey Spivak's like best performance. I would say besides the Derek Lewis one, right? Cause it can't really get better than a fight where you take no punches, but he went out there in that fight against Tai Tuivasa and he implemented pressure, heavy wrestling, grappling, took him down multiple times. Guys at the time, Tai Tuivasa was fatter than he is now by a significant margin. Like he looked very unserious. His body composition was a lot different. Now he looks much more like an athlete. He's still a little bit, uh, you know, Husky, let's say, but he's got a much more dynamic athletic build. He's worked on his wrestling and grappling a lot since then, but you go back and look at that fight. He just didn't have it there. Like he just got taken down a million times, zero resistance. Like everything that he went for, he'd be like pushing. Oh, like he's just flailing around on his back. Like those are the fights when you're a wrestler that are the easiest in the world where you don't have to do anything to take the guy down. And it's just, oh, he barrels over. I went back and uh, when I was on Dan Levy's show yesterday, I hadn't actually rewatched Gone versus Jones. I just had it in my mind where I was like, I feel like they just meshed together and then they hit the ground. That was how I saw the takedown from memory. And it's kind of similar to that, right? Like Gone throws a left hand, Jones slips it, grabs the body lock, and then uh, sags his weight from one side to the other because he's a real New York wrestler and the New York boys will teach you how to wrestle once again, right? He went from one side all the way to the other. And when you switch weight like that and sag, it just drags somebody to the mat. Like, and they, he lurched down, went to all hands, not fucking Derek Lewis, right? He didn't go bling and just points his uh, face off the mat. He actually put hands out, crawled himself over to the side of the cage, stood up. And I forgot about that, bro. I thought he got taken down and lost the fight. Like, I thought that was exactly what happened. But he actually gets back up along the fence line. Then John switches to like an awkward low double, pulls his legs out. And as he goes to sit up along the fence line, which is commonly taught as what you're supposed to do to get out in MMA, John did something rare, which is he pushed his head down, barreled into him. So then he can no longer recover the neckline. I'm a guy who loves a guillotine, okay? The first guillotine he went for, he had no, no chance of finishing it. And the commentators had said as much because he didn't really have it under the neck, but he kept the neckline compromised. He never let him get back to here, right? When you're up here, it's very hard to guillotine you. You can't create any leverage. You can't squeeze. But what he was able to do was create this kind of pressure on the neck. If your neck is even a little bit compromised, 
that squeeze on the guillotine, it will feel not like you're getting choked even as much as your neck is going to break. With John Jones on fucking top of you guys, I guarantee you all you guys are tapping too. If he's trying to crank down your neck with his chest and pull up with his two hands, that's a decapitation. That's a head separation. That's what he's going for. And it's John Jones. He's not being very nice about it, right? He's not being very cordial or polite. He's one of the most vicious submission grapplers in the history of the UFC. He almost ripped Vitor Belfort's arm off his shoulder for the audacity of going for an arm bar. So you talk about a guy like John Jones, he's not a guy like Sergey Spivak. He's just not. Everything he does is a higher level, in my opinion. The striking, the wrestling, the grappling, the transitions. I think he would beat him in a pure grappling match, in a wrestling match today. I think he would fuck him up. I don't think, uh, to quote Joe Rogan, uh, I don't think it'd be close you know, or whatever. <laughs> I think you'd be surprised. I think he'd fuck you up. That's that's what I think. Um, I, I think that Sergey Spivak has been the beneficiary of some easy matchmaking. Let's look at the recent performances from Sergey Spivak. Derek Lewis, before he had abs. Okay. Nice win. Derek Lewis didn't throw or land a punch in that fight. So God bless him for it. Augusto Sakai. That guy got cut from the UFC off a win. As far as I remember, he was never any good in my humble opinion. Greg Hardy, never any good in my humble opinion. Should have won that fight even because he went out there and engaged in the grappling for no reason and then got thrown like a bum. But if you watch that fight at distance, he looked like he was having some success and then just decided like, I'm going to go into the, the clinch and then got thrown because he has no idea anything about judo. When you look at a guy um, like Tom Aspinall, right? Another athlete, another guy who's a real contender in the division, in my view, how did he treat him accordingly? Went out there, frame off, knee to the body, big elbow upstairs, and Sergey Spivak was like, thanks, I've seen the door. Uh, I'm ready to get out of here. I feel like it's going to be very similar here. I don't think he's going to be able to take the power from Cyril Ghosn. Cyril Ghosn's not a guy I normally associate with power, but he is athletic. He does throw single shots that are meaningful especially in the clinch. And I feel like we know that Sergey Spivak is going to be trying to get close to him. I feel like at distance, he's completely shagged here. I think he's going to be getting his leg chewed apart primarily. But then I think if this fight gets in close, it's going to be Cyril Gan who probably gets, um, you know, the better of the cardio dynamic in these exchanges. I feel like the guy who works harder in these spots is going to be Sergey Spivak. So maybe he gets a takedown and a mat return or two in the early going, but I think he's going to have to work really hard to do it. And I think he's going to get tired. So um, for me, I like Cyril Gunn, uh, and I think he's going to get this one done. What do you think? Uh, do you um, think there's anything worth having on a totals perspective, props, anything like that? I think you mentioned uh, kind yeah. of like in the sub look. It's, it's just funny to me. You know, it's like, what's that, Liam? Fucking, uh, you think that, that Spivak's had favorable matchmaking and he's a dominant MMA fighter. Like, of course he fucking has, man. That's what happens when you're an Ali guy, man. You get favorable matchups. Um yeah, I do actually. I think it's going to go down like this. I think after round one, Spivak is going to be shook as fuck and he's going to get finished in round two. Uh, sprinkle round three, just in case. And um, don't be a complete square, man, and go for the KO alone because I know that's the preferred method of victory and that's most likely what's going to happen. But you don't want to get burnt when the sub is plus 1,200, man, on the gone side. Um, We've seen it. Ollie nearly subbed um, Spivak at 40 years old. And uh, like you mentioned earlier in one of the previous fights, you don't have to be the better BJJ practitioner to find the sub in MMA. You know, when people are wilting and they're ready to give up, Garn could even find his way on top of Spivak in a transition, man, and, and get a choke or some shit. So watch your P's and Q's if you bet in the KO, man. Yeah, and speaking of, the last time I bet against uh, Sergey Spivak was Alexi Olenek. 
And it was because I'm not really that sold on his grappling. By the way, he went out there and had like a 29-28 boxing match with Alexi Olenek. So I don't think of Sergey Spivak as a guy that is like destined for greatness. Could he stick around in the top 15 for a while? Yeah, I think that's very possible. But the Moldovan sensation, I, I just don't see it uh, in that way. Um, personally, I, I feel like this is going to be uh, Soto Lagan having another French celebration. And to tell you guys the truth, I bet the plus 500 by sub last time against Taitu Avasa, and he went out there and got the knockout. And now you're doubling the price up for a guy who's much more likely than Taitu Avasa to push it into the wrestling and grappling phases of the fight. And so I think that that's an interesting number right off the rip. Um, speaking of which, on the Contender Series, we saw a similar dynamic with the Peterson fight his opponent wanted to wrestle too. So like if you have both guys that want to wrestle, that just makes it more likely that you hit a submission bet um, because you need guys to be in grappling phases in order to hit that. So um, just something to keep in the back of your mind here. I feel like this is going to get into a lot of grappling phases. The ends by sub is like plus 250, yet the favorite to win by sub is plus 1200 or whatever it is. Just seems a little bit wide to me from a um, you know mathematical principled standpoint uh, overall. So Bro. there you have it. Yeah, please go ahead. Let them know what you got on Peterson by Subman in that Dana White contender series fight. I personally was able to get down the plus 1600, but on US Domestics, it was as high as plus 1100. It's the second time on one of these shows. Uh, if you guys go back and watch the breakdown I did with Gordo for contender series as well, I said, I think Peterson's going to get a finish on the mat. So you may want to take a look at the prop market if you know what I'm saying. I can't fucking spell it out because it hadn't opened on Domestics yet, but that was when it was plus 550. I thought it was a great number. I was like, this makes no sense. He's a huge favorite. He's going to get this guy to the mat. It's minus 330 that he finishes ITD. And then instead, we're able to get an even better number. So uh, big blessings there. I think that this is uh, you know, another great card in terms of opportunities. So going to be looking to have a few bets here and excited to uh, to see what happens in Paris, France. See if the French fighters can keep it rolling once again. So Rich, please, why don't you let the people know where they can find you and all the great work that you're doing? Yeah, uh, first of all, and Peterson, that's a perfect example. Peterson had something like, I, I want to say like 10 fights, finished one by sub, uh, like nine by KO, and it was lying like that, minus 150, minus 200 for the KO. Um, it's just too square to be doing that all the time, man. Um, but yeah, anyway, and, and enough of that. Uh, Twitter, check the bio, Patreon. Um, I'm pissing hot at the minute, so fade me if you will. Sean O'Malley, Blanchfield, gone season, big bet um get on it man and good luck yeah and it looks like the market is reacting accordingly gone line starting to take a little bit of love back here it opened very high come down considerably i think the gone money is starting to creep back in um you know later in this week so should be a fun one guys i will be circling back i'm hoping tomorrow uh if all goes well you know i was supposed to do a show last night but i'm gonna try and get to it tomorrow after the post weigh-in show um and bring you guys back any takes that i have um, from doing further research, as well as anything I learned from the weigh-ins, because we do have a little bit of chicanery, a little bit of late-minute moves and stuff like that. So I just want to make sure everybody comes in healthy, everybody looks like themselves, things like that on the scale. So make sure you get subscribed so you don't miss it. Uh, God bless. Appreciate everybody watching the show today. Uh, if you're looking for more of my stuff, you can find it all in the description below. Um, and that's it. So God bless. Thanks, everybody. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star review if you like the audio show as well, and I'll get that out as soon as possible. Thanks, everybody. See ya.